0: I'm turning this morning to Proverbs chapter 21, Proverbs chapter 21, and this morning we'll be looking at verses 22 through 24. I originally had indicated that we were going to look at just 22 and 23, and the further and the longer I continued to look, I saw the connection between verse 24 and and also verses 22 and 23. So we'll intend to cover uh, those uh, verses this morning. When we think about the Proverbs, of course, we are thinking about that which is intensely practical. Uh, it has been said about the 21st chapter of Proverbs that it is an antidote against pride. In other words, if we were to read chapter 21 in its entirety, read all 31 verses consecutively, we would have what is described as the way to guard against pride. So oftentimes, Proverbs is hard to find a main theme running through the entirety of the chapter, but I think it's very clear that chapter 21 has been instructing us about this antidote. How do we guard and keep ourselves... From pride. Uh, pride is so deadly and it's dangerous is because it is very difficult to detect in self. Uh, man is good at detecting pride in another individual uh, but we are terrible and unwilling to acknowledge pride in our own life. Uh, we have an eye that's constantly looking for pride in other people uh, but we fail to examine ourselves to see if there be any wicked way of pride in us. I've entitled this morning, The Measure of Wisdom. Um, it might not be the best title, but it helps uh, give us a thought and to consolidate it into a direction in which we're going. But you'll notice within, in verse 22, it says, A wise man scaleth the city of the mighty, and casteth down the strength Of the confidence thereof. Whoso keepeth his mouth and his tongue keepeth his soul from troubles. Proud and haughty scorner is his name, who dealeth in proud wrath. The measure of wisdom. You might say, Preacher, you just mentioned pride. Well, yes, the opposite of pride is humility, and it also is wisdom. To be wise is to flee from pride. To be wise is to flee from pride. To flee from the very thing that is the most difficult to detect and quite possibly the most difficult to control. There's made mention in these verses about scaling cities. There's made mention about keeping the mouth. I could park on keeping the mouth, probably do an entire series on keeping the mouth, probably could do a six-month series on that, and we still would not have exhausted how important it is to keep our mouth and control our tongue. And all of these thoughts are connected with the proud. And it's interesting that in verse 24, a name is given. A haughty scorner is his name. Pride is given a name. It's in contrast to wisdom. So we see here that this principle that is being exemplified is how do we measure wisdom? And again, how do we also recognize pride? Well, first of all, let's look, and these will be very simple, alliterated headings for you today. And it's to help us kind of keep our thoughts on track. It's also to help me keep my mind on track so that I don't too far off what I think the intended passage is here. The first part of verse 22, we see a reference made to the man of wisdom. Now, it mentions him as a wise man. He tells us that this wise man scaleth the city of the mighty. And at first look, at first glance, it's a little bit difficult to kind of pick apart what he's actually indicating here. But we could say it this way, that a wise man, or we might refer to him as a shrewd man, can prove something. He can prove that wisdom is better than strength. It's been proven repeatedly that more good is done by being prudent and being done and being wise, by being uh, careful, uh, by planning, by strategizing, And we might even use the word by scheming than by power and force. In other words, man thinks that the best way to take down a city is by power and force. The the writer Solomon is saying the exact opposite. He said if you want to scale a defense city, if you want to take a city and bring it to its knees, it's not by power and it's not by might, it's by wisdom. You see, wisdom is better than strength. Now we'll look at a couple passages for biblical support here in the book of Ecclesiastes, but I want us to think that's what the intent of this first part of this verse is. Now this is especially true in military engagements. We often think that it is the army that has the best machinery, has the best weaponry, that is ultimately going to be victorious. Uh, Many, many times that is not the outcome. It is the wisdom Even in cunning, and thinking, and strategizing, that often determines the best outcome, or in a military case, a victorious outcome. If we were to take a fortified city and our desire was to go and scale a city, get in, take the city, not that we're doing this in a violent manner, but as an illustration today. But if we wanted to take a city, our mind would run to, I need to get the most powerful might I can get to knock down the wall or to have the greatest weaponry to when I get over the wall to conquer. Yet we know the story that God gave to Joshua or the instruction he gave to Joshua about Jericho. He gave Joshua this strange instruction. He said, I want you to march around the city. I want you to do that. And I want you just to continually march around one day and then just be done for that day. But then on one day, I'm going to want you to march around that city and then I want you to blow trumpets. Now, none of us would have that as our strategy. But when the trumpets were blown, the walls of the city came down. Now we understand that the walls came down by the power and might of God. But it's the wise man that follows the instruction of God, not the instruction or the intents of what man thinks ought to be the way things should be done. So that's what's intended here. It has the idea of a wise man scaling the city. If he was going to do this, here's how he would do it. It is a wise man by his own wisdom who could order and manage things in such a way that even if he only has a few people under his command, he could scale the walls of that city and he could take it even though that city is defended by numbers that far exceed what he has. You see, God's ways are often contrary to man's ways. You see, pride is always based on man's ways, man's ideals, man's concepts. Wisdom is True wisdom is based upon God's principles and upon God's plans and precepts. To trust God is to be wise. To trust man is to be proud. It's about as simple as you can put it. To trust in your own words, to trust in your own thoughts is pride. To trust in God's word is wisdom. So wisdom and pride are being contrasted here. We can also apply this truth to the way in which the Lord Jesus Christ enters into the city or the heart of man. We realize in Luke chapter 11, if you want to turn there, Jesus gave a very interesting illustration about how he works in the heart of a man who is being possessed by a strong man. Uh, Luke 11 verse 21 through 22, it says, When a strong man armed keepeth his palace... His goods are in peace, but when a stronger than he shall come upon him and overcome him, he taketh from him all his armor, wherein he trusted and divideth his spoils. Now the strong man in Jesus's words here is Satan himself, and he's being pictured or illustrated as a person who has taken a person captive, and he has been carefully watching over that person in which he's possessed. Yet it says, a stronger than he, Jesus comes and he actually undoes the works in which the devil has done. Christ, of course, has the ultimate say-so and has the ultimate victory. He takes away the strong-armed man, again, in wisdom. Now, if you will, go to Ecclesiastes chapter 9, of course, also uh, penned by Solomon. And Ecclesiastes is as relevant today as it was the day in which he penned him under the inspiration of the Spirit. Ecclesiastes can be be described as the book of life. It can be described as this is how life looks. This is how life functions. This is the things that you will see. But it's interesting that in chapter 9 of Ecclesiastes, beginning in verse 13, He begins pondering this, and he starts talking about, here's the wisdom that I have seen. And he often uses this expression, this wisdom have I seen also under the sun, and it seemed great unto me. It's a very powerful statement he makes there. There was a little city and few men within it, and there came a great king against it and besieged it and built great bulwarks against it. Now there was found in it, this is that little city, a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city, yet no man remembered that same poor man. Now we could park there for a while. This poor wise man was the very, one of the sole reasons why that city was delivered, that nobody remembered his name, but it was clear that it was his wisdom. Then said I, and one of the conclusions that Solomon comes to throughout this book, then said I, wisdom is better than strength. Nevertheless, the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. Solomon comes to this correct conclusion. He says wisdom is better than strength, but he said most people around will not come to that conclusion. His words are despised. His ways are despised. Verse 17, the words of wise men are heard in quiet more than the cry of him that ruleth among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroyeth much good. There's no passage that illustrates what's happening in Proverbs 21 better than that passage. Very clear here that wisdom, and that's kind of again our, Important, point in which we'll journey on is this wisdom is better than strength. That helps us as we continue this look at our text this morning. So we see there, we see the man of wisdom. The second half of verse 22, again, kind of piggybacks on this. We see the might of wisdom. He says, not only does the wise man scale the city of the mighty and cast it down the strength of the confidence thereof. So wisdom is not only better than strength, but wisdom casts down the very thing in which man puts his confidence in. The strong walls were the confidence of the walled city. Uh, We feel more confident in our security at night when you lock your door. Nothing will wake you up quicker in the middle of the night than to think, did I lock the front door? Or for us, did we close the garage door? There's a sense in which when the garage door is down and the door is locked, that we confidently now can lay our head down in peace. Because we couldn't do it before because the door was open or the front door was unlocked. But do you know that if we truly had our confidence in God, we could still lay our head down and not overly worry about the garage door being open and the front door being unlocked. Now, I won't park here very long because I don't want this to be a distraction. But when we first moved to New Hampshire, one of the first things they told us is they said, you don't have to lock your doors here. You don't lock your front door. You don't lock your car doors. And I said, I don't know where you get that mentality, but we're locking every door. We never lived in a place where we would just say, you don't have to lock your doors. People thought we were crazy. They also said, we leave the keys in our car so we don't lose our keys. <laughs> and I thought, okay, that, that, I have no confidence in that. If I leave my keys in the car, I know the way our family works. Our car will be stolen the first day we do it because that's how it happens for us. But we locked every door and we continue to do it. And there's a sense of confidence that comes by securing it by man's means. That's a long winding illustration to point that the confidence here is in the walls. They have the confidence in the walls, but yet the very might of wisdom brings down those walls, brings down those fortifications in which the city placed all of its confidence. He says wisdom casts confidences down. It's what Christ does. in that illustration. When he enters into the heart of a sinner by the word and spirit, he destroys everything that our confidence was in. If our confidence was in our own works and our own righteousness, he casts down those walls. We're no longer saying, I'm confident in my works. I'm confident in my righteousness. You see, what you put your confidence, is, is off, what you put your confidence in is often what appears the strongest to man. But yet... Our confidence and our hope should be in God and in Christ alone. Now, the Apostle Paul made mention of this in a, in a similar fashion, and it's a verse that I think ties to our thoughts, so we're not going to expound it. But in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4, it says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing. I want you to remember that. Every high thing or every prideful thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and brings into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Our battle is not a physical battle. It's spiritual. We are not fighting against flesh and blood. Too many Christians are trying to fight the battle of this life with weapons of earthly warfare instead of the weapons that are spiritually, which is the things of God. Your greatest defense, your greatest confidence against the wickedness of this world is found in the scriptures. Not in what man says, here's where your confidence should be. That's wisdom. Pride says, I exalt myself above the wisdom of God and I will be be the master of my own universe. I'll determine where my confidence is going to be. Well, if you place your confidence in your good works and your righteousness for your salvation, one day you'll step out into eternity and you'll awaken in hell. Because your confidence in yourself is pride. Pure and simple. If you have any confidence in yourself, in your own righteousness, that's pride. That's how deadly it is. Pride is not just a temporal problem. Ultimately, pride is a spiritual problem. Pride's a spiritual problem. And we need to be aware of that. And again, yes, Proverbs is filled with intensely practical how-to's. But its primary purpose is not about how to live temporally, it's how to live spiritually, how to live heavenly while you're in this earthly realm and do that all to the glory of God. So we see here that the confidence is not to be in man. I love one of the notes that is contained in the Geneva Bible. It says, wisdom overcomes strength and confidence in worldly things. Okay, wisdom overcomes strength and confidence in worldly things. Okay, it, 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 it does away, it casts down that confidence and whatever that worldly thing you're placing your confidence is. Wisdom says there's nothing to be confident in that. That must be put away. A couple other verses, Ecclesiastes 7, verse 19. Wisdom strengtheneth the wise more than 10 mighty men which are in the city. Ecclesiastes 10:10 10, 10. If the iron be blunt and he do not wet the edge then must he put to more strength but wisdom is profitable to the direct It's being prepared it's using this wisdom properly That's what the concept here is So we could say that even the most well-defended city by a high wall could easily be breached undetected unseen by the enemy if it's done in wisdom you have to be careful about who the wise people are in your life sometimes who you consider to be wise are not wise spiritually they're wise temporally or they're not wise at all they might be speaking from a position of pride and you know why you're accepting that because it's speaking to your own pride See, we don't realize how deadly this infestation is. We don't realize how bad the disease of pride is. We will listen to the counsel and advice of a pride-filled man and think we're getting good counsel because it's feeding our ego, it's feeding our pride, and we say, well, they must be right then. Wisdom casts that out and says, no, there's no confidence in the words in which they say. How do I know it's not words I can rely on because they're not God's words? Listen, if the counsel you're getting doesn't match up with Scripture, you're getting bad counsel. You say, well, it depends on the circumstances. No, it does not. It doesn't matter what you're going through in life. The counsel of the Word of God is wisdom. The counsel of man is faulty at best. You say, well, this is the way the world does it. That's one surefire way to avoid it. That's the way the world. If that's your reason for doing it, You're operating on the wrong premise. So we see a very powerful truth is being established here, and that's why these verses all contain or can be easily taken together. So now look at verse 23. And again, this is going to step on our toes. I'll just tell you it's going to step on our toes because we all have a problem with this one. The mouth of wisdom. We're thankful God's given us a mouth, but then sometimes we wish we didn't have one. When we're, when we're a, a young parents, we can't wait till our kids talk, right? Young parents, I was there too. We can't wait until they talk. But it brings a whole new level of parenting skill. You now are put on another level where now they begin to say and things that you don't want them to say. And the scary thing is a lot of it's the same thing that you said. Keeping the mouth is... A true picture of wisdom just like it's almost impossible to detect pride it's almost impossible to control your mouth and to control your tongue but look what he says whoso keepeth his mouth and his tongue look at how serious this is keepeth his soul from troubles now our mouth gets us in enough earthly trouble but he's talking about a mouth and tongue that's not controlled can get you spiritual trouble Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue. Now, there's a, I, I, I chuckled a bit this week because there are so many opinions on, uh, some commentators were splitting this in two ways. They were saying, look, this is, this is a two, two ways. Not only do you have to keep your mouth, you've got to keep your tongue. One commentator took it this way, and I, I don't think he's necessarily wrong. He took the part about the mouth, about being careful about what you put in it. And he kind of tied it to gluttony. He kind of tied it to uh, being careful about what you bring into the temple of God. And I I don't disagree with that at all. But I think in the context, I think what Solomon had in mind here is to tie these two things together. The tongue is what allows us to speak, the mouth is what projects the sound, right? Without the tongue, you can't speak. Without the mouth, the tongue, the sound doesn't come out. So the idea here is, is to keep control, or to guard the mouth. Now, one commentator I read, I like the way he put it. Now, this might sound a little bit offensive, right? But I I don't know any other way to put this. He said, whoever can keep his mouth shut with his tongue in it will more likely stay out of trouble than the person who cannot shut up but wags his tongue continually. It's about as direct as you can put it. I mean, it's not, it doesn't sound theologically deep. And he says, whoever learns how to shut up is going to keep their soul from trouble. And how difficult is that? How many times have you been involved in a conversation where your, your mind is telling, your heart is saying, do not say anything. Do not speak and then this, this depravity in you cries out and says, but you're right, the world deserves to hear your opinion. Or the, word des- the world deserves to hear your fact. Well, I'm going to show you in a minute, just because something factual doesn't mean it's spiritually wise to say something. See, controlling the mouth is not just about not speaking at inappropriate times. It's actually learning how not to speak even when something is factual because it's not always spiritually advantageous for you to do so. You say, but the world must know. No, there's wisdom in knowing when to, pardon the expression, when to shut up and when not to. Now that was a forbidden exp- expression in our home with our kids. Okay, where they were not allowed to tell each other to shut up. It's, it's rude, right? And you don't, that's not, it's not meant to be used that way, but that's the idea learn how to guard your mouth, and as the Bible says, bridle your tongue. Okay, that's the biblical aspect of this. You you don't go to it and find where God says, learn how to shut up, but that's the concept here. Guard the mouth, bridle the tongue, even though you may be right. If Christians, again, you probably get tired of me saying this, if Christians would learn this concept in social media, you'd save yourself a whole lot of trouble. You don't need to speak it just because it's factual. There's wisdom in looking at it and saying, this is, this is foolishness to even address this. It doesn't matter if it's factual. The world doesn't know the difference anyway. They don't know if what you're saying is fact because they're believing what someone else says is fact. All you're doing is arguing. Many times you're arguing foolishness. Now, again, there are things we can't deny. We cannot deny God. We cannot disobey God. I understand all that. But there is still wisdom to be found in saying every event, every conversation does not mean I have to speak. Again, this is more difficult than you think it is. So guard the mouth, bite of the tongue. It's advisable then, he's very clear from what he's saying, based upon what it can cause, it's advisable then to be careful about what you openly say. Now here is the fact about the matter. What you say, if it's true, must be said without hypocrisy, without guile, and without malice. See, here's the problem Christians run into. It's the truth. But then you say it, with hypocrisy because you don't live it. It's amazing to me how many people call out other people on social media platforms that I've seen myself, and I've been, I've been convicted of this by myself, and I look and I say, I know for a fact that the person that just said that <clears throat> doesn't even live that way. And yet they publicly called them out and said, this is what you do. And I'm sitting and I'm saying, wow, that person just did that themselves. You see, you have to speak the truth, but you've got to speak the truth in love. That's what Paul says in Ephesians. Speak the truth in love, not in hypocrisy, not in guile. So if you know something's true, but by you speaking it, you would be a hypocrite, don't say it. If you have even the slightest bit of malice in your heart, don't say it. If you have a desire to get them, to injure their character don't do it and you say but do you know who they are they're a sinner in need of god's grace just like you are it's an amazing truth how practical the proverbs are they're hard to preach they're hard to teach but they are intensely practical things not only we need to hear as adults but things our kids need to hear It should not be the goal of us as believers to injure the character of another person. Be careful that what you say is not offensive and provoking just for the sake of provoking them. You see, the wise man who keeps his mouth, keeps his tongue, keeps his soul from trouble, he abstains from wrathful language, which tends to stir up contention. He keeps his mouth, guards his mouth, bridles his tongue from speaking evil. Clearly, he says here, when a man keeps his soul or keeps his mouth and tongue, he keeps his own soul from trouble. A couple of passages of support here. Proverbs 12, 13 says, The wicked is snared by the transgression of his lips, but the just shall come out of trouble. Proverbs 13, verses 2 and 3, A man shall eat good by the fruit of his mouth, but the soul of the transgressors shall eat violence. He that keepeth his mouth keepeth his life, but he that openeth wide his lips shall have destruction. There's a couple other things. He says in verse 5, A righteous man hateth lying, but a wicked man is loathsome and cometh to shame. So see, again, it's not just about speaking just because it's a fact. We are to guard our mouth. And then, of course, James chapter number 1 is probably the one we're most familiar with about the tongue, the power of the tongue. Uh, James 1, verse 26. If any man... And notice how James words this. Of course, the Holy Spirit is the author. But if any man among you now, I want you to see the conditions here. Seem to be religious. Now, that religious, not just the word that says he's pomp and circumstance, he's ceremonious. It's basically if a man seems to be in God, a man seems to have an acknowledgement, uh, has his even, even, a, even a foundation in Christ. He seems to be. Notice he's emphasizing he seems to be and bridleth not his tongue. In other words, if he doesn't do what we just read in Proverbs, he's not able to bridle his tongue, to guard his mouth, to bridle his tongue, he deceives his own heart. You see, the very proper result of a person who truly is wise and truly is in the Lord learns how to exercise great caution by the words in which he or she speaks. Folks, we quite, we quite frankly, we talk too much. And I'm not just talking about temporal things. We talk too much about everything. We talk too much about spirit. We, we talk too much about our own knowledge. We talk too much about how we're not like other people are. We read the account of the Pharisee and the publican, and we say, how in the world did the Pharisee have that attitude towards us? I'm thankful I'm not like that man. Well, be careful because we all do that. We all look and we say, I'm I'm glad I'm not as prideful as that man, because you can't detect the pride in your own heart. The Pharisee exalted himself in his own knowledge of God, which led him to be pride filled, which made him to lick other people and say, I'm glad I'm not like you. Again, we can detect people who don't know when to, again, parents, I'm sorry, don't know how to shut up, they don't know how to keep their mouth. They don't know how to bridle their tongue. Even if they're speaking facts, it doesn't mean you have to speak it every time something is said. That's the wisdom that's found. When you say, Pastor, how in the world do I know when to speak and when I don't know when to speak? That's wisdom. And like I said, sadly, and I say it again, and it, it'll, it, it'll, it'll get to the place where he said, quit talking about it. It's what we see social media all the time. People don't, they just don't use wisdom what you need to say. And then if you do say it, how you say it. He keeps his soul from trouble. Now, this is a little deeper than just what we see on the surface. It, it has the intent of also meaning he keeps his conscience clear of guilt. He's not saying that if, if at one time you don't guard your mouth and you don't bridle your tongue, you lose your soul. He's not saying your salvation is based upon whether you do this or not. However, your conscience will be clear of guilt. Here's one thing you'll never have to worry about. If we learn how to speak when we should, you won't have to worry about the moment you open your mouth and say it, saying, I wish I would have just kept my mouth quiet. You don't have that regret. Each one of us have thousands of times, and I I don't mean hundreds, thousands of times you said something at the moment you said it, you wish you could take it back. I used to stand before a group of teenagers and young people kids and i would tell them i give them that old dead illustration about the toothpaste container that you can't once you put it out you can't put it back in and i'm sitting there looking and i'm thinking what kids really need to hear this i'm thinking no you know who really needs to hear it adults now they don't they they shouldn't have to be given such a simplistic illustration But folks, you cannot put back out what you let come out of your mouth. And some of you, including myself, we're still dealing with the consequences and the damage we cause because we couldn't bridle our tongue and keep our mouth guarded. Some of our family problems are because we don't know when to be quiet. Church problems are often created because people don't know when to be quiet. They don't know when to just use wisdom and don't speak. Your conscience is clear of guilt. It's clear of the distress. But if your person becomes one who is always looking for the next conflict, looking for the next quarrel, looking for how you can be uh, in contention, uh, you know the world is always looking for the next lawsuit, right? They're always looking for somebody. Who can I sue next? Who who can I? It's a contentious spirit. Often the person that cannot control their mouth and bridle their tongue is a contentious person. They come across that way. Now God has given us the liberty, the freedom to speak. The wise man figures out and understands, according to the word of God, how to wisely use that gift of speech. Application, we see how often we do regret A comment we said just off the cuff. We just said it and we didn't realize the damage that it might be. Again, it might be something truthful. But if we speak it in a way that is with guile, with hypocrisy, listen folks, as I've said, don't call out the sin of somebody else if you're living in that sin yourself. Don't don't you dare do it. Because you might be right. They may be very guilty of that. But if you're doing it yourself... You're a hypocrite. And by the way, there's a lot of sin we're calling out in other people and it the, the amount of things that we can actually look at somebody else and say, "I'm glad that's not me." It's a minuscule amount. Now, we don't think it is cuz that's your pride telling you, "I don't have that problem." I'm glad I don't do that to people often you do. You may not do it outwardly, but in your heart See, man hears what you speak, God sees and knows the heart. What you speak doesn't always mean what's in your heart. But God knows every intent, every motive of why you spoke it, what you were speaking it for, and you start putting that through that lens, man, you're kind of looking at saying, I better not say very much at all. I better be very, very sure what, I, what I've said is Right. Many a person has a very troubled conscience today because of something that they said. And then look at verse 24. I know we're a little bit longer this morning, but if you give me the liberty today, I want to I want to complete this thought. I don't want to leave this hanging for next week, it's too directly connected. Proud and haughty scorner is his name. Now that's most directly connected to verse 23. Again, the person who cannot keep the mouth and bridle his tongue. His name is Proud and Haughty Scorner. Now who wants to go around with that name? What's your name? Proud, Haughty, Scorner. That's that's what my name is. Those who cannot control the tongue. So this is the meaning of pride. Proud means someone who has an exaggerated opinion of their personal worth or their abilities. That's what pride is. Pride is you simply exaggerate your own value. You exaggerate your own ability. Haughty, often people say, pride and haughtiness are the same thing. They're actually not. So pride is having this exaggerated opinion of your personal worth or abilities. Haughty means to behave in a superior condescending Or arrogant way. So when you see the phrase a proud and haughty spirit, it's a person who has an exaggerated opinion of themselves and then they behave in a superior, arrogant way. So what's a scorner? A scorner means somebody who holds someone else in contempt. Now, this is sounding a lot like that Pharisee and the publican. Because we certainly can say the Pharisee was guilty of all these things. To scorn someone is to have a powerful feeling of dislike towards someone to the point of considering them virtually worthless, inferior, or undeserving of respect. So when we scorn the sinner and we say that person is unworthy... Of God through Jesus Christ, even look their direction, you're a scorner. Because there's not a one of us in this room today who deserve to have God look in your direction. You were pride filled, you were haughty, and you were a scorner. And out of His mercy, Jesus Christ called you unto Himself. So we better be careful about how we view other people. That person is so beyond wicked. They are so beyond the reach of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're a scorner. What you should be doing is praying for God to change and convert that heart. Not calling out that they're worthless. And acting superior and and looking down your religious nose. I'm thankful I'm not like you. I'm thankful I have this this unbelievable knowledge of God that you don't have. That's haughtiness. That's haughty behavior. It's arrogant. It should not be found in Christianity. Folks, I will tell you, it's one of the accusations against Reformed Baptists. Is that very thing, is that you're using this knowledge in a haughty way. And if that's what your impression is or your conclusion is that you're supposed to use what you know as pride-filled and haughty and a scorner, you misunderstand in its entirety. Because what should be happening is you should be humbled and being humbled more and more each and every time you read the Word of God. You see, those, he says, who fit this description, he gives him that's his name. And then he goes on, he says, who dealeth in proud wrath. In other words, those who fit this description, they themselves will gain a bad name and they themselves will be treated with contempt and disrespect. That person that is the proud and the haughty and the scorner who thinks that they're better than the next person, they will be viewed with by other people as being exactly what they are. Arrogant, conceited, and rude. This proud wrath has the idea of something coming back on them. So this person who in their pride shows itself by wrathful expressions and actions, who is proud in their dealings with people, they make a trade of their pride, they become known as the very thing in which they are holding other people in contempt of. Pride-filled people are even recognized by unbelievers. Unbelievers can recognize a proud Christian. They can spot you a thousand miles away. They say, that Christian is very pride-filled about what they know, who they are, how they speak, how they act. Listen, the unbelieving world should not be looking at us in that manner. You see, there is nothing more applicable to what an arrogant person who exalts themselves above the knowledge of God, who exalts themselves above that which the Bible declares. You see, anything that exalts itself against the Lord, anything exalts itself against the Christ, is referred to scripturally as an antichrist. Now, I don't want you to think in terms of the antichrist. I want you to think about the spirit of antichrist. Now, we do see that in 1 John chapter 1. Again, a lot of people run right to this passage and say here's this ultimate antichrist but he's more talking about the spirit of antichrist and notice again how this is how this is mentioned here or, I'm sorry first uh, first John chapter 4 I think I said first John 1 uh first John uh, chapter 4 and look at verse 1 it says, "Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits or test and examine whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesses not" that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God, and this is the spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. Ye are of God little children and have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world and the world heareth them. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. You see the very anti-Christ sentiment exalts itself above the knowledge of God so we are continually being advised again i began by telling you that proverbs chapter 21 is an antidote against pride if if it is in your inclination to do this this week i would sit down in one setting just you and your bible sit down and read proverbs 21 in consecutive order don't be distracted don't be doing it while you're doing a hundred other things sit down there and just meditate on chapter 21. the practicality of living life without pride is all over this it'll be a help to you all of god's words are help no matter what passage I tell you to turn to. But since this is so fresh on our mind, and like I said, if you feel so inclined, I would would advise you to read that. But we are constantly reminded in the book of Proverbs about pride, about haughtiness, about being scornful. It is an awful reputation to have not only among Christians, but among believers as being someone who is pride-filled, who cannot control their mouth, who cannot bridle their tongue, who is arrogant, who is always angry, so that nobody, even our brethren, want to have anything to do with us because they're afraid of what they might hear you say. You ever heard that expression, we got to walk around them on eggshells? You realize how wrong that is? Well, I've just always been that way. Well, let me give you a biblical advice. Stop it. Change. Change. Well, it's always, my my dad was this way, my grandfather was this, my great-grandfather. So what? That's not your excuse to keep doing wrong when you know the Bible says don't act this way. Now, you can't do this in your own power. An angry man cannot curb his own anger. A mouthy person cannot control their mouth and their tongue. They need a work of the Spirit to do that. Well, maybe instead of praying for temporal things that you need, maybe your prayer life this week should be about these things. Lord, guard my mouth. bridle my tongue. Keep me from pride. Keep me from haughtiness. It's one of those daring prayers like praying to God to give you patience. We're fearful praying this way because of what that's going to mean for us. Pray, ask God to show, show me one instance of pride in me. He will. Don't worry, he'll show you. You won't like what you see. You won't like what the Bible tells you, but it'll encourage us to be the way that we ought to act. So again, I've gone well beyond where I wanted to go, but I think, I think it's important that all these thoughts were connected so that we got a good picture of what was being said here. Well, let's conclude this time together. Uh, we'll sing the hymn on 189,